0: Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Halperin. And I'm Donnell Alexander.
1: This is the Weed Week podcast, and you can subscribe to our free newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week Canada, and Weed Week California at WeedWeek.net. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News. If you've got any feedback, you can write us. We are hello at WeedWeek.net.
0: This week, we do something fun. We've got an interview with Wayne Schwind from Periodic Effects, which is a cannabis podcast that, along with us, was listed as one of the top eight cannabis podcasts according to Forbes. You know, we were on a few lists last year. We were on like three lists. Okay. Yeah. Well, this was one of the lists.
1: And I like being on with him because I like his podcast. I like a lot of the podcasts on the list, but uh, no, I, I science doesn't ordinarily naturally grab me. But there's something about this one. We talked to him about why it's good.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. His podcast comes from a very different place than ours. He started an edibles company called periodic edibles which look really good he, he started the podcast as a, a vehicle for that and it's turned into a really interesting conversation um so you should definitely check out his podcast and what we did is donnie and i get interviewed on an upcoming episode of his podcast you can check our twitter feed check
1: at weed weed news or the facebook page and you'll know when that one's coming but i want to talk about journalism when we were dealing with the vape crisis in the fall, I started noticing that, um, well, there was a lot less cannabis news coming from within the cannabis community. You know, I do the newsletter every week, and I'm scouring the internet for the most interesting stories in California, and I find that I'm going more to places like Capitol Public Radio and, um, you know, the local news affiliates, in addition to the Times and the San Francisco Chronicle. Why is journalism changing, or am I, is journalism changing in the cannabis sphere,
0: so all we we hear about in in cannabis right now, especially in California, is how how bad the market is. So there are probably some places that wanted to invest in journalism and probably have invested somewhat in journalism, but haven't necessarily seen it turn a profit. <laughs> and that that happens a lot with journalism. And so it, it becomes sort of the first thing to go. I think for a lot for a lot of organizations. And I mean, you can an example is uh, Leafly just cut off. Uh, just laid off about eighteen percent of their staff, and I don't know if it, how directly it affected their their editorial staff. According to his Twitter bio, Bruce Barcott, who's done a lot of the been one of the main editors there, is still there, so that's good. But you, you know, when when something isn't a priority and you are you are losing money, then that's what that's what gets cut, and I think that's probably some of what's happening with cannabis journalism. Mm hmm. You know, we were talking about
1: the uh, relationships between I think this was part of our podcast that you might want to check on, on the periodic effects uh, podcast feed. We talked a little bit about independence in cannabis journalism and the, the rarity of it. You know, um, I, I was dealing with someone in the world the other day who really wants me to get interested in her product. And she keeps showing me an ad from a publication that clearly is trading ads for coverage, you know? Mm. And um, I I try to politely explain why these things aren't impressive to me. But those are, those are almost the norm. I mean, that's something that's really egregious. But there's a relationship issue in cannabis. I know that this brand is getting coverage because they bought advertising with this company. Yeah. And I, you know that's not going to happen with us. I feel like our reputation, at least. Maybe there's some underhanded things going on behind the scenes. I don't know about it. No, not, <laughs> not, not that I know but the, of. But the sense is that that's not a concern.
0: No. I mean, I think we produce a podcast and we write newsletters and and original stories. Our business plan is that we're going to succeed because people want to consume everything we do. It's done for the audience. It's not done for who's ever paying us. And the, the advertisers want to be in our publications because the audience wants to read our publications. That's the idea. And And I think a lot of the cannabis media world sort of works on the the other principle that the publications serve their advertisers. But, I mean, another issue is, you know, Leafly had some really good stories about the vape crisis. Coincidentally or not, that was a topic that basically supported the industry's basic thesis Mm -hmm. that a regulated legal market is safer and better than the alternative. You could have really good journalism, tough journalism about the vape crisis that also supported sort of the industry's key thesis. And now with a lot of companies going going bankrupt or not necessarily bankrupt, but a lot of companies really struggling, it doesn't necessarily – negate the industry's thesis but it doesn't particularly support it either and i think a fair number of publications and i'm, I'm not going to name names but they're not necessarily interested in publishing tough stories about their advertisers if Luthley had come to a conclusion that didn't exonerate the industry so much would you have bought it yeah you know i don't want to talk in hypotheticals but it but it happened that the vape crisis story did support the industry's primary thesis, which is that a regulated market is better and safer than an unregulated illegal market. Here's the thing.
1: It's the appearance of impropriety that's problematic. Someone
0: said inside the company, uh, <laughs> we, we need to um, step into the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> Media ethics is not necessarily a major theme in the, in the cannabis world.
1: That's understatement, people, for the casual listeners. But anyway, let's go talk to our guest here because I like Portland and we're going to go to Portland and we're going to have brilliant edibles and a little bit of science. This is Wayne Schwinn.
0: Schwind, welcome to Weed Week. We're so happy to have you.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: How are people feeling in Oregon? Because right now in California, everyone in the industry is really gloomy. It's really hard for companies to make money. How is Oregon doing?
2: I think it's a very similar feeling, um, just for a different reason or different timing, You know, the first year of rec, it was like you had a product, you were on the shelf. It was turning over. You just had to be present. Same for the retailers, the growers. And that closed pretty quickly, within a year, maybe less. And now it's super saturated. Getting on a shelf that you're not on is difficult. Um, So it's, it's kind of a similar feeling where a lot of, you know, good brand companies, you know, they're really struggling. I haven't seen a public company that's made a profit yet, I don't think. Um, you know, and they have to list their earnings. But I think it's a very similar feeling.
1: We always have this thing where we talk about people's cannabis journey, but I'm especially interested in yours because you're from the Midwest, and I'd love to know how you got to do the work you do and how you came to cannabis, period, back there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the kind of quick version is, yeah, I grew up in Michigan, um, went to school in the Upper Peninsula and got a degree in chemical engineering.
1: Where did you get the degree?
2: Michigan Tech. And that's where? In the Upper Peninsula, so it's northern, northern Michigan. That's A lot of your, people think it's Wisconsin, but you're not.
0: <laughs> that's really remote.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it's up there. I definitely the, like the outdoors.
0: Is it the
1: biggest university on the Upper Peninsula? Is there another one in there, up there?
2: I think northern Michigan's bigger. It's about two hours south. Mark's that.
1: Okay, but you did you know cannabis before then, before school?
2: Know it as in, like, consumption? Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely throughout college, and I always found it as a better alternative. I mean, I grew up always asking questions. It was a struggle for my parents to get me to go to church. (laughs) So I had never understood cannabis being illegal. Um, But yeah, I always used during college.
0: So after college, you worked in in water treatment? Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So when I graduated, um, I wanted to go west or somewhere unique. I didn't want to move back downstate where I grew up. And that was Kind of agnostic to the industry, um, honestly, when you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and I picked that degree because it paid the most graduating out of college. And uh, so I found a job in Portland, Oregon, I was looking for states and cities, not types of jobs. And uh, I found one in Portland and that's what had me, that's why I moved out here and it was in industrial water treatment. So it's kind of like technical sales, um, wastewater treatment, stuff like that and came out here in 2010 to Portland.
1: What takes you to cannabis? as a profession
2: yeah so five years i did that job in water treatment and and so when i was working for that company it was to make money you know i didn't throw up around capital or raising money was really foreign to me and i actually quit that job to start a property management company in real estate with an older couple and it was two business partners they were in their 50s you know it kind of gave me that confidence to start a business i'm not doing it solo And then after about a year, year and a half, ended up not working out. And right at that time, they just voted in the rec market was coming in Oregon. And so I was like, well, that's interesting. That's a whole new consumer group that wasn't buying products before. They're not really, they're not loyal to a brand. They're going to be trying new things. And so I just started looking at the regulations on the medical side. Um, That's where I started the business before the rec market and, uh, figuring it out and it was pretty low overhead that's why we went into edibles um you know you could start in the home kitchen still got stuff lab tested but i think i only had like five thousand dollars invested before i made the first sale
1: you were you were working in your in your kitchen um home kitchen what's it take to do that
2: um so you can get it most states and counties you can get like the home kitchen permit to make like a food grade uh small scale product so there's that process and you can get your home kitchen set up most places um, to be technically commercially uh, commercial kitchen certified.
1: What's the outlay for that? For you to get going that way?
2: It's very minimal, very low barrier. Um, it wasn't much at all. I think the medical license was like three hundred bucks. You know, to legally, opt, you know, sell products, and then the, it was it wasn't much. It was very low cost and quick.
0: That's probably less to get an edibles business started than you could have done it in any other state.
2: Yeah. That was perfect timing for me as far, you know, being in Oregon, if I would have came to the rec market first, I wouldn't have been able to start this business without raising money, which I probably wouldn't have the confidence to or know what that would have looked like, you know?
0: So, but, so, I mean, does that mean that tons more companies entered? I mean, wouldn't it lead to much more competition?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think Oregon is the most saturated, at least life. I know California is going to catch up most likely. Oklahoma looks pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, very sad. There were a lot of uh, companies on the medical side going into REC. and in the medical years, but a couple of years before REC, it still wasn't like there was this wasn't this green rush mentality. I think a lot of operators were in the background. People weren't out in the open about it because it was still this it's still kind of gray, right? It's not really illegal, but it was much more gray uh, back then.
1: So you have a um, you have a company called Periodic Edibles. And you have you have a podcast. First off, before I even go to the podcast, I just want to say that your edibles look delicious. And I'm a guy who tries to like not get things that have butter in them and all that. But I almost licked my iPad when I watched the process <laughs> you're making. So kudos for that. What role does the podcast play in your company?
2: It's twofold, I think. Uh, really, I mean, it's a long term marketing strategy or brand building strategy. Um, and you know, I, when I was still working for that company, I bought and sold a home. I had about 60,000 in my savings when I started this business and I've grown it, you know, to this point on that money. So when I look at marketing, you know, I can't, I don't have multiple millions of dollars to run ads and stuff. I look for things that are like sweat equity, low cost. Um, and I think transparency is one of our, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think transparencies are one of our number one selling points and I think it is for most craft businesses or small companies or mom and pops Uh, so we looked at how can we tell that story more and then just provide value educate you know bud tenders people in the industry focus on the science of cannabis and we thought we'd build up an audience really and that would be part of our brand and our marketing and the cost was like 400 bucks for equipment and then just my time
1: you and I are connected because weed week and your podcast were mentioned in forbes as the best eight of last year or the ones you're, you need to know about or whatever and i i am we'll link to that story we will link to that because we like to blow our own horns but um you know ignore ignore the other six I, I mentioned that because i think something that stands out about yours is that you're focused on science and i don't ever feel like it's a redundant podcast a lot of podcasts they seem like they're doing the same one with different states and different approvals over and over. But I I do find that I feel it's accessible and not repeatable. What's your secret?
2: It's a good question. <laughs> and, uh, but I guess I haven't thought about it, but you know my background is science and I love science. I like building things and I'm curious. You know cannabis, how does it work in the body? So I try to approach that. But I also I'm not super scientific, like, you know, sometimes that can be very dry or dull. So I always connect it to the business side or the consumers. How are they going to use this in the real world? Like, how is this practical? And, I, you know, I think we're one of the, there's probably another podcast for cannabis out there, but one of the very few, like, I'm actually, I've built this business, I'm running this business every single day, and then I'm talking about it. So I think it's much easier to talk about what I'm experiencing. Like, I'm going through all these things. Um, and then just kind of documenting it. So when I interview another business owner, um, I have so many questions, you know, we don't even script them out. Sometimes we just start talking and we go for an hour, um, you know, easy. So I think yeah. actually doing it is maybe part of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about your show is there's a particular emphasis on, on bud tenders. And but also, you know, as a business, I'm sure bud tenders are really important to you because they have such ultimate influence over what. People actually buy. Can you talk a little bit about what you're trying to communicate to, to bud-, bud Tenders other than, you, you know, sell my product?
2: Yeah, it, it, I kind of always look at the podcast from both sides. So, one, back to that marketing strategy for the brand, the more value we can provide, the more they're going to know about us. And, and I think people are smart. If I got on here and just pushed my product, like, is that not going to be very interesting for very long? nobody's going to listen maybe once if we're lucky. But then the other side is, okay, so that makes sense for the company. If we can build an audience, what value, what needs to be out there in the industry? And those blood tenders, I mean, they're the consumer. They're so critical to the front line. They communicate all the information to the consumer. I mean, that's the difference from a consumer having a terrible, edible experience over, you know, getting paranoid, and maybe joining a panel to make cannabis illegal in their county. Like that. Interaction points. So, so we just wanted to provide education, science. Um, we thought that was a good kind of more narrow area to focus on than just more cannabis in general.
1: Yeah, you did study science. No, you're you're doing God's work apparently. <laughs> I don't know about
2: that. I don't know about
1: that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll be scientific and not spiritual on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> but uh, there was this episode about aging that I was just starting to listen to, and you. But there was a phrase you used, just a phrase about how. They're the people who can benefit from cannabis most, and it's one of these obvious things that when you hear it, you go, "Oh my god they they should we should be pushing cannabis to the aged and droves. Is that true I mean not should we be pushing cannabis to the aged and droves, which we know is true i is it are they the people who can benefit from it most i
2: I think I mean a lot of people can benefit, but it, I would think in ten years I don't know how long people past 80 are going to be consuming cannabis daily, like a daily multivitamin. And I see all this, I see, all this growing up Parents, You know, every, when I started this company, family members are like, what are you doing? Like you have a degree, you're wasting it. And then now some of them, you know, an older parent that's just ill cancer, whatever it might be, finally break. They have nothing else to try and they do three milligrams or five milligrams of an edible. And everything, like quality of, I mean, it's so crazy when you hear some of these stories and then they look at themselves in the mirror and they're like, I can't believe it was the devil's drug. <laughs> it's like, look at my dad now. He, he can walk around. He's actually smiling. He has not ears. I think it's, yeah, it's a huge part of it. And they have the most stigma, and the most momentum, I think, behind that cannabis, cannabis is evil uh, propaganda.
0: Tell us a little bit about what's happening in Oregon. I think the last thing that sort of sunk in about the Oregon market is that, there's just a huge market glut and the state was producing something like seven times more than the state could consume. They can consume a lot. The rest of it is presumably, you know, making its way into the illegal market or rotting on the plants or what, but it makes it really hard to run run a business. And can you tell us a bit about what's happening now?
2: Yeah, that was a weird period. It was definitely, you know, oversaturated and there was a glut of supply. There are a few things I think that came out of that i think one that report was uh not accurate it was overestimating the supply it was still oversupplied but it was maybe i think the thing was like six years supply if we stopped producing today um but it might have been like a two-year supply because the price correction happened like a year after that report came out prices went back up so one it could have been inaccurate but two I mean, you mentioned, you know, going to the black market. Someone's losing their life savings. They're going out of business. You know, if you can recover a couple hundred thousand dollars, that might be happening. Um, but also, you know, people going out of business. And then a lot switched to hemp as well. Southern Oregon still really, you know, if you can grow cannabis, you can grow hemp. Um, so I think a lot of businesses switched over. But now all the growers, their price is back up to um, where it was. You know, maybe not at its peak, but a lot of them said that 2019 was one of their best years. Um, So it seems to be balancing and leveling out um, on the flower and growing supply side. And now, you know, they're doing well. And it seems to be more of a pinch on the edibles and the processors, you know, all those uh, value-added products. That now seems to be the most saturated and flooded. We're seeing some really low-cost, cheaper options. Kind of hit there, like we saw on the flower side.
0: Why is that
2: on the pro- on the value-added products? I think I think people realize uh, figuring out that on the growing side, everyone's really afraid of big ag, and it's an agricultural product. Some will put it in a pre-roll pack, you know, can brand it, but it's really hard to brand the flower. On the processing side, you can brand a product. You know, we make an edible, a vape cart. You have nice box packaging. Um, it's easy, It's more consistent. And I think bigger money is looking at that and moving in because it's more scalable. You can also repeat it in a bunch of other states. Um, and people are diversifying. Growers are putting out pens. Growers are putting out edibles. So they're trying to do other things. And it, you know, uh, during the black market, everybody grew. You couldn't, it's kind of weird or hard to buy edibles on the black market. Um, you know, I didn't, maybe in California, I didn't really ever see it in Michigan, Uh but so the first to get saturated was the growers because there was just so many more of them from the gray market coming over. Now it's kind of taken longer to get to the processing side. Uh, and I think it's just that it's always it feels like cannabis is always going to oversaturate and then it'll correct. You know, you never hit that perfect uh, balance point the first time. So it seems like that's where we're at now.
1: I think it's interesting that you said that thing about diversifying right now. It- I see so much of that when I, I, I do the California newsletter for Weed Week here, and I see that everyone's getting into something else. I 2020 may be the year of diversification. Do you do that? Are you into different things, or is it all about those beautiful candies?
2: Yeah, just the candy for us. We, you know Because of the limited funding, we had to pick a product, and we do different, you know, have a few skews, but we stick very narrow on what we do. Um, and I think we built a brand around, like, that's what that company makes. We're just very, very, very narrowly focused. Um, so, no, we're not really looking to diversify. We've got new product lines coming out, product lines, um, but very much in line with our brand and what we're already making. Um, you know, we're looking at different pack sizes, dosages, so we can get consumers um, where they're at. You know, everyone might not want a 50 milligram edible. That's our cap in Oregon. So, what about 10, 5 milligram pieces and having those options for consumers?
1: If there were a uh, one podcast episode that you would one podcast episode of yours that you would recommend, which one would it be for someone coming initially their first visit?
2: It uh, depends on who the person is. I would wonder if they're in the industry or if they're a consumer. Um, but either way, the one that crosses over the most episode fifty we did. Emma Chasen is someone we've had on, like well over 15 episodes. I
1: heard one of hers.
2: She's awesome. She's really focused on the science, but she communicates it super well. Mm -hmm. She went to Brown University for botany, super educated, really just great at communicating as well. And that episode 50 is like, it's our cannabis science 101. We just start, like, you don't know anything about cannabis. Let's start with the building blocks, cannabinoids, terpenes, THC. So that's probably the first good one to get into. If you're in Oregon, Periodic Edibles, PeriodicEdibles.com slash videos. we got a little video library we made. People want more education.
1: Thanks a lot, man. It was very good to have you on. Thanks.
2: Appreciate
1: it. Goodbye. Bye. That's our show for today. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News. Or you can email us. We're still hello at WeedWeek.net. And for more Weed News, you can sign up for the newsletters. Weed Week Canada. Weed Week, the original coming up on five years of that and weed week california the one i write at Weedweek.net. so we had a tweet today from the this is from the wandering jews they're they're a, a show a couple of dads who are of the jewish persuasion we might do a swap like that the one we just did here with them we keep would, your, eye, keep your eyes keep like your eyes out to do that yeah they're open
0: to it this is at jews wondering wondering wondering, wondering. not wandering see now I'm in on the joke they're amazing (laughs) wondering Jews that's at Jews wondering what's the deal with those cannabis amnesty boxes we take it up in our new segment what Jew wondering about (laughs) (laughs) check out episode 16 Forest Park Purple slash amnesty and passion slash Parashat Besharach what was that word Parashat Bala, is that a name? That's a Hebrew word. That that? that parashat. How good a Jew are you? What does that mean? It's probably like a Torah portion. Okay. Okay. Is is what I think it is.
1: So what is up with those amnesty boxes? I I, I thought they were just letting people have cannabis at O'Hare. Is it O'Hare? The airport in Chicago. Chicago International.
0: Yeah, so a couple airports. I think they have one in Las Vegas too. um, Where basically when you're leaving town, they have cannabis amnesty boxes if you don't want to take your cannabis through airport security. The better question is if anybody uses them. Uh-huh. Although there was a story the other day of somebody stealing maybe a little bit from them. <laughs> Scavenging?
1: Yeah. I love that. Okay, we're out of here, right? We're, we had a fun episode here. We're going to move on. we got more good things coming.
0: Yeah, I'm Alex Hopper. And I'm Donnell Alexander. Our show is produced by Donnie Alexander and engineered by Larry Buell. Alicia Buyer wrote our theme music. See you again here next week. Peace.